This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Elijah must have been so excited. He's standing there in the rain. As rain falls on him, the big drops of water must have felt so good after three and a half years of drought. And he just stands there. The water, oh, it's so great. And he's standing at the gates just real excited to see Ahab. Because he knows Ahab just lost the greatest battle of all time. And Elijah won. He defeated the prophets of Baal. And he's excited to see Ahab come and tell him, you know what, northern Israel, we are going to follow Yahweh. We lost. You won. We're going to follow him. Remember, Elijah outruns Ahab in a chariot all the way back to Jezreel. Well, on the way back from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel, Ahab has a lot of time to think. And he's thinking, well, maybe I need to follow this Yahweh. That was amazing what just happened. And as he gets off his chariot and starts to walk into his palace, he's thinking, maybe we need to start. And then he looks up and he sees the face of his beautiful bride, Queen Jezebel, who is not too happy. And she says, hey, Ahab, what is this that I heard? What happened at Mount Carmel? And Ahab's like, well, yeah, we had a battle between the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh, won. And, um, Elijah beat us. And at that moment, Queen Jezebel picks up a pot and... And Ahab has to duck, clang. And she picks up another pan and... Clang. And she's storming around the kitchen. She's mad. And she picks up the dog. And throws it at Ahab. And he has to duck. And picks up the cat. And throws it at Ahab. And he has to duck. And he's like, what are you doing? And she goes over and grabs him by the lapels. And says, listen, Ahab. 
We have come too far and fought too hard to let this Elijah win. We didn't kill all those prophets of Yahweh for nothing, and some of those 450 prophets of Baal were my friends. She throws him down, because probably he was a short little guy, and she was this muscular woman. I don't know. And she goes to the table, pushes everything aside, gets out a sheet of paper, places it on the table, gets out a pen, and she writes these words. Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow, signed Jezebel. She's basically saying, Elijah, you're a dead man, and I'm going to kill you tomorrow. If I don't kill you tomorrow, the gods can kill me. That's how determined I am to kill you. And she seals it, and she gives it to the FedEx guy, and he goes off. Well, there's Elijah, you know, he's waiting, he's waiting, and he's waiting, he's waiting, and well, Ahab hasn't showed up, but I'm sure he'll show up tomorrow, and maybe he gets up the next day, and here comes the FedEx guy, and he's like, finally, Elijah's thinking, finally, this is it, this is the moment where Israel says, we're going to follow God, and he opens up the envelope, and he reads, and he looks up and all the blood drains out of his face. It's this note from Jezebel who says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And when he reads this frightening note from Jezebel, you know what he does? He runs, and he runs, and he runs, and he runs out of Jezreel so fast, and he heads south. And he runs through parts of Judah and runs all the way to Beersheba, which is on the border of southern Israel. And the only thing left is the desert, and he tells his servant to stay there. He basically runs 125 miles in 24 hours. That's huge! That's an Elijah-thon. This is amazing. And she, he, he leaves his servant there and says, stay there. And he runs for another day into the desert. And he stops by a broom tree. And he falls down. And he looks up to the sky. And he says, that's it. Enough. I don't care, Yahweh. Just kill me. Please kill me. I am worse. I am no better than my father's. And he weeps and he says to the Lord, please just kill me. Now, how did we get here? Elijah, God used you to raise a boy from death to life. You saw a resurrection. Elijah, you saw the ravens. God took care of you with the ravens. Elijah, you just ran 50 miles. Remember that? In the power of the Lord. Elijah, you saw fire rain down from heaven. Elijah, you saw all that. And you're letting a note from Queen Jezebel freak you out this bad? What is wrong, Elijah? What is wrong? See, I think what we're seeing here in this weeping Elijah who is asking God to kill him, I think what we're seeing is a discouraged, depressed, and I think ultimately a disappointed Elijah. He's disappointed with God. Why didn't God just kill Jezebel? 
Why are the hearts of Israel not turned back to God? Why didn't God just kill Ahab? Why did he do all this thing on Mount Carmel if nothing's going to change? And I think the other thing you see here is an exhausted Elijah. Think of all the miles he's run. He probably hasn't eaten very well in the last couple days. Think of all the stress this poor man has been under. Elijah is a very human person here. And I think he's physically exhausted. And I think it's interesting. We all have moments like that, don't we? I think we have moments like that where we just lose faith. We get discouraged. We look at our circumstances and we feel like, God, where are you? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you answering? And then on top of that, because of all our crying and all our weeping and because of all our anger, we maybe haven't eaten right and our blood sugar's low. We don't get enough sleep and put all those things together and we get discouraged, depressed, and despondent. I want you to see that this same thing happened to Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of all time, a very human person. He let the circumstances get at him. We don't have to. We have scripture, and so did he. He could have turned to Psalm chapter 5, verses 11 through 12. It says there, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. Elijah should have pulled out a verse like that. Or, you know, next time when we look at circumstances, we just allow the circumstances to get us down and depressed. We need to remember Romans 8, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No! Man, we've got to remember verses like that when circumstances scream that God doesn't care. I'd encourage you, memorize those verses. Use them to fight these, these, these fiery darts of the devil to get us depressed and discouraged. Well, Elijah... He just screams out to God to kill him. He's had it. He's done. He's exhausted. He falls asleep. Now, I don't know how long Elijah slept for. It could have been days. It could have been a couple hours. The next thing we know is that this hand is waking Elijah up. Hey, get up, get up. Elijah is in the middle of the desert under a broom tree and somebody's shaking his shoulder and he looks up and it's a man. But see, what Elijah doesn't understand is this isn't just any man. It says there in 1 Kings 19 that God sent the angel of the Lord to minister to Elijah. Now think about that. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a major figure, and many people believe the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Son of God, Jesus, before he was born. This is the Son of God. God the Father sends his Son, the angel of the Lord, to encourage Elijah. Man, that's exciting. And how does this angel encourage Elijah? By feeding him. He says, hey, 
get up and, and eat. And, and Elijah looks up and at his head, there's a big jar of water. And he probably grabs it and drinks that big drink, lets the water go down his chin into his beard. Oh, it tastes so good. And then he looks over and on some hot coals is a nice pancake more pancakes oh this is great and maybe chuckles to himself but he doesn't care he is so hungry he gobbles it up gobbles it up and he eats it and as the warm pancake goes down and the, the water feels so good on his lips his eyes get heavy and he falls asleep again a second time i don't know how long he sleeps but this is the angel of the lord ministering to him feeding him letting him sleep well this time he says listen you've got to eat because you're about to go on a long journey arise get up and eat so elijah gets up and he eats some more pancakes and he drinks some more water and then he heads out and Elijah is going to leave roughly near Beersheba, and he's going to go south, and he's going to end up at Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai, and this is a special place to the nation of Israel. Amazing things have happened at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses met with God in the dark cloud and the lightning. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Well, from Beersheba to Mount Sinai, it's about 200 miles. And it would only normally take like a 14, 15 day trip. Walking every day for 15 days, you could get to Mount Horeb. Well, guess how long it took Elijah? 40 days and 40 nights. Talk about a circuitous route, and I don't know what happened in those 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know where Elijah was going. And did the angel of the Lord stick with him? You know, and how did the angel of the Lord look to Elijah? Did he look like a man? And so did this man who's the angel of the Lord walking with Elijah, did he encourage him? Did he tell him some great stuff? Did he give him wisdom? Did he disappear for a while and then he came back? I think God talked to him and ministered to him for 40 days and 40 nights. But I also think Elijah, he's depressed. He's despondent. He's discouraged and he doesn't care. And he's just wandering all over the place. He's not going where exactly where God wants him to be. He's doing his own thing. And finally, Forty A month and a half later, he gets to Mount Oreb and stumbles into a cave. And he lays down. And that's when he hears a voice. And it's the voice of God. And God says, Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? And Elijah, he hears the voice and he hears the question and he says to God, well, um, I'm here because I want you to know I, I was jealous for your cause, God. 
I was jealous for you and worked hard for you. And, and, but your people, they've abandoned the covenant and, and they've torn down your altars. And I alone am left. That's it. It's just me. And, and they're out to kill me again. That's what he says to God's question. Why are you here, Elijah? Well, it's not my fault. I fought for you. I did my best and I'm stuck here and, and I'm it. I'm all that's left. So God says, and I think in a very gentle voice, says, get up and I want you to go outside this cave and I want you to stand on the mountain before me. So Elijah gets up, walks out, leaves the cave, stands on the mountain before the Lord. And then A big wind comes up. God sends a violent wind that starts to tear the mountain apart, that breaks the rocks. I can imagine a huge rock comes hurtling towards Elijah and just is about to hit him. It breaks up. And God shows his power, but God was not in the wind. What it means there in 1 Kings 19, where it says that God is not in the wind, saying that God did not reveal himself to Elijah in the wind. Well, the wind stops and then a big rumbling starts to occur, rumble, 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 and the ground starts to crack and it's a huge earthquake. The Bible says God was not in the earthquake. He didn't reveal himself in the earthquake. And then fire from heaven again. Maybe it was a big fire that surrounded Elijah, a huge fire. And Elijah, I can imagine, runs into the cave, but God showed his strength in the fire. But God did not reveal himself. He wasn't in the fire. And then as Elijah is in the cave, he hears it. The Hebrew literally says this, Elijah Here's a thin silence. Many people translate it a low whisper. When Elijah hears that low whisper, that thin silence, he hears God. God's revealed himself at this point, not in this, not in these powerful displays, but in this gentle, low whisper. Elijah covers his face, it says, with a cloak. And then God comes to him. And I think in that same thin silence, that low whisper, God comes to Elijah and says, once again, the same question. Why are you here, Elijah? Why are you here? And I think many of us have heard that same question, haven't we? Especially when we're at places we know we shouldn't be. You're on the internet and you're in places and websites you know you shouldn't be and you have that thin silence in your spirit, that low whisper that says, you need to get out of here. You need to leave this place now. You need to listen to that low whisper. 
Maybe you're out with friends doing things at a party or or someplace in a car or doing things that you know you shouldn't. And with people you know you shouldn't. And you know all of this dishonors the name of the Lord. And you get that question, why are you here? Why are you here? That thin silence keeps saying to you in your spirit over and over again, why are you here I remember when I was a teenager, I was at a party, and and I knew I shouldn't have been there. I knew it wasn't right. And I heard that voice, why are you here, John? Why are you here? Elijah was at a spot where he shouldn't have been. Now, how did he end up here? I think it's simple. Before, Elijah never moved till God told him to move. Elijah was a farmer till God said, go confront Ahab. God then said to Elijah, hey, leave Ahab and go back to the brook Kidron. So he did. And he stayed at the brook Kidron till God said, hey, get up and I need you to go to Zarephath. You get that? He didn't move till God told him to move. Now, the question is, who told him to run from Jezreel to Beersheba? He did, not God. Who told him to go on this 40-day wandering hike? He did. Not God. We end up in places where we shouldn't be out of our own willful ways, out of our own bad instincts, out of our own bad choices. And Elijah knows he shouldn't be here. And so when God comes to him and says, Hey, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah responds. He says, Listen, uh, I was jealous for you and worked hard for you. And, and the people, they've broken their covenant with you and they've torn down their altars. And I, I alone, I'm the only one left. And they're out to kill me. He gives the same excuse and he knows it's lame. But throughout this whole time, God's been so gracious to Elijah, hasn't he? Fed him when he was discouraged. Let him sleep when he got down. Showed himself mightily in power, but then came to him in a still, small whisper. And then I think finally God encourages him with this. He says, I want you to get up. And I want you to go anoint Haziel as the new king of Syria. And and then I want you to go anoint Jehu as the new king of Israel. Then I want you to anoint Elisha as the new prophet in your place. And, And whatever people who are still following Baal that Haziel does not kill, Jehu is going to wipe him out. And whoever's left who's still following Baal after Jehu wipes a lot of those people out, then Elisha's going to wipe him out. And at the end of the day, Elijah, you are not alone. I want you to know this, Elijah. Listen, there are 7,000 men and women in Israel who still have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000, Elijah. You are not alone. Well, I think Elijah gets up. He's now got a job. He's got something to do, and he's encouraged. He's not alone. 
And he goes and he finds Elisha, who's out plowing the fields with 12 oxen. Now that either means he's behind one oxen and there's 12 other oxen in 12 other fields, or he's behind 12 oxen pulling this massive plow. Either way, what that means is Elisha, he's got some money. Elisha is a pretty rich dude, and he comes from a family with a lot of money. But when Elijah comes, finds Elisha, and he throws his cloak over the shoulders of Elisha, I can imagine Elisha turns around and he says, It's Elijah, and he's taking his cloak and throwing it on me. That's the same as anointing Elisha. When Elisha realizes that he's been anointed by Elijah, Elisha realizes, I'm going to be the new prophet. I'm going to be the new prophet. And he, and he probably ran home and told his mom and dad. And, and before he did that, he asked Elijah, can I go talk to my mom and dad? And Elijah said, yes, you can. And he goes and tells them, and to celebrate his new life, his new job, they slaughter those 12 oxen and they sacrifice them to the Lord and they also throw a big party for the surrounding community rejoicing with Elisha. Notice he doesn't let his wealth and his prestige. He could have said, well, I can't do that right now. I can't follow you, God. I can't follow Elijah. I've got all these responsibilities. No, he heard the voice of God. He knew what God wanted, and he left it all behind. And it says from that moment forward, Elisha became Elijah's assistant. Now, what happened next? What grand adventures did God take Elijah and Elisha on? We'll come back next week, and we'll begin to find out I think one of the big things I want you to take away from this story is this, that Elijah, he's a very normal man. And 1 Kings 19 shows an Elijah who's as normal as you can get. You see him in all his humanity. He gets discouraged. He gets depressed. He gets scared. He forgets about all the grand things God has done and he runs, and he runs, and he runs. You know, you think, well, I can't be used like Elijah. Elijah was special. Elijah was different. Elijah was amazing. I, I can never hope to even remotely attain that greatness. No, the Bible shows us Elijah was a man just like you and me. The difference between Elijah and you and me I think it's because Elijah had heart wholly devoted to Yahweh. And I said at the beginning of this series, we need men and women who are going to live their lives in the spirit of Elijah in today's culture. And 1 Kings 19 reminds us that that call is still true today. Because if God can use very human, weak Elijah in amazing, glorious ways, he can use me and he can use you. 
let's just give our hearts wholly devoted to Him. Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.